The Start On Demand. On demand. Well, that didn't take long. Two days into back to school, and we already have a Winnipeg student with COVID-19. With business travel down during the pandemic, what's the impact been on places like the RBC Convention Centre? We'll hear from a father whose son is battling stage 4 Ewing's sarcoma, a rare form of cancer in the bones or tissue near the bones, and learn about how you can help. And why do we procrastinate? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, September 10th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Lots to discuss, of course, on COVID and the latest it's what's happening at schools. But before that, Greg, I'm curious to know uh, if you were awoken to thunderous applause from your boys who were watching the, I assume they were watching the Raptors game. They were watching and they behaved themselves. I don't know how they restrained their excitement. The Raptors winning in double overtime. Kyle Lowry, by all accounts, I didn't watch one second of the game. The star of the game for the Raptors last night is they force a game seven against Boston. And I know there aren't uh, necessarily tens of thousands of basketball fans in Winnipeg. But if you think back to last year, it was difficult to find people who weren't at least halfway paying attention to the Raptors on their run to their world championship. So I suspect there are lots of people watching last night and there'll be even more people watching game seven. I laughed. I had a a former colleague tweet from Toronto last night. I don't even remember what it was like to not feel on the verge of vomit mid-game. So <laughs> sort of just that feeling, right, where you're – and, and you, you could be a huge fan and feel sick to your stomach about where it may be going or where you hope it's going. Or you could just be that casual observer right now because so many people are just looking for entertainment. So I, I would I would imagine that there might be more people just jumping on a Raptors bandwagon if they weren't already on it because it's just something kind of fun to be part of right now amidst all this not fun for lack of a better word and if you like the sports then today's a big day in terms of the gridiron yeah national football league gets underway tonight it'll be decidedly unusual because we've been watching basketball and Hockey in the neutral sites or in the bubble cities. The NBA has been in Orlando. The NHL, of course, have been in Toronto and Edmonton, Loren. Baseball has been playing their regular schedule, their modified schedule in stadiums without fans. Lots of cardboard cutout fans, including Getty Lee's uh, image, by the way, behind home plate in Buffalo where the Blue Jays are playing. But... um, the NFL tonight in Kansas City, 16,000 fans mm-hmm. will be allowed in the 76,000-seat Arrowhead Stadium as the Chiefs will raise their Super Bowl banner. I don't know where they're going to raise it to. There's no roof in that stadium, but I'm sure they'll figure out a place to put it. But uh, it'll be bizarre to see that in-between stage uh, with having fans in the stadium tonight. I'm fascinated by this, particularly because of all the different ways different sports have tackled a return to play. And, and most of them have, uh, and I would say all of them have involved no fans. Even golf doesn't have anyone right. uh, along the fairways, right? And you would think of all the sports I was watching um, on Sunday, you think of all the sports, you might be able to space some people outside like that. And so to hear that there are going to be people returning to a stadium, particularly as both south of the border and increasingly now north of the border, we're talking about, uh-oh, like these cases are on... The the rise, what sort of other restrictions could we see in place? I'm fascinated to see how this will work and what ramifications there may or may not be as a result. I would be curious to see too how they vacate the stadium. Like once the mm. game is over, Good how question. does like is, is there going to be staggered by section? You know, if you're in section S, whatever. 
Uh, not that the, Why did those you pick Section S? S. <laughs> <laughs> Good <laughs> memories in Section S. Yes, indeed. I <laughs> uh, had some great times in Section S. But yeah, is it going to be like, okay, Section S can go, and the next one, and the next one, and so on? Because you can't have 16,000 16, people. It's still right. 16,000 people. You can't have them all leaving at the same time. Right. And uh, that uh, stadium is sort of unique because uh, the Kansas City Royal Stadium is right next door, and they're both in the middle of the largest parking lot I've ever seen seen in my life in fact we went to a royals game several years ago and could not find the van when we were ready to leave it took us about 20 minutes to find the van but we went for a chiefs game oh i guess about eight years ago and it's the best tailgate party anywhere so that'll be toned down i'm sure and uh yeah just leaving that parking lot will be a, a little bit easier than it normally is it takes about two hours to get out of there in a normal situation uh i'm guessing that they'll they'll have some uh plans to get people efficiently out of Arrowhead Stadium. But you know, it it brings up a bigger point about how we're doing all sorts of things with COVID in terms of how we're getting people into places. And so you might have these rules once you're inside the stadium of spacing, but then who's responsible for controlling how people move once they leave the stadium, right? You could still, it could still turn into a crowd. And we'll be talking about that today too, in the sense of high schools or, or kids going to school, like they have all these rules immediately on the property of the school, right? And uh, in terms of, you know, you have to space out, you have to go down this way in the hallway or go into this entrance. But once they leave, you know, we've we've all talked and seen about, you know, kids congregating in different spots, adults congregating in different spots, because once you're out of those those rules or out of those restriction areas, you kind of just behave the way you used to, or a lot of people still are, guys. Yeah, yeah, we, we've seen some pictures of some students in Winnipeg uh, who have gathered. There's a, a picture of about 100 high school students uh, all huddled together, not one wearing a single mask. And it's tough, you know, you want to you want to see your friends and just pretend that everything's normal. So I can I understand mm-hmm, the sure. urge to just try to let's just go back to normal. But yeah. You got to be careful. Yeah, I picked up uh, Brendan from school yesterday, and uh, yeah, it, it looked like a normal day except for the masks on the faces of the kids. Looked like a normal high school dismissal yesterday at lunchtime. Normal? Like yeah. just, just so many kids. Oh, wow. You know, kids gathered around waiting at the bus. And- I will admit, though, it, it, it was neat. Uh, it was weird, but it also felt good. I was driving by Regent and Plessy, and I looked over at Regent Park School. At Cole Regent Park, the field had kids in it. And it's funny to think that just six, min- six months later that it's such an odd sight. And yesterday, exactly. Buddy says, it's kind of weird to see school buses, isn't it? And like, I feel it's, it's kind of nice, though. So and the sounds nice. of it. I went for a walk yesterday. I could hear kids playing in the playground far less than you would have outside the school, right, in a normal school year. But the sound of kids' voices screaming and doing, you know, trying to behave normally, somewhat normally, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed it. There will be plenty of questions for Dr. Brent Rusin today on the first case of COVID-19 in a Manitoba school. I think we all knew this was going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure how many of us thought it would happen within the first 48 hours of school opening. And in fact, it was within 48 hours that we heard about this, but it actually is the very first day that this case appeared in a school. So the student is in grade seven at Churchill High School, that's in the Winnipeg School Division. And as far as the division knows, that student came to school Tuesday with no symptoms, did not know anything about possible COVID. But then at some point during the day, that student was actually contacted by public health to be tested for COVID. They were asymptomatic. They were um, advised to be tested by public health after they'd already been at school. I think that they, they were contacted throughout sometime during the day to go and be tested and found out afterwards. Yeah, if they had been tested positive or if they had known that they had been in contact with somebody that had tested positive, they wouldn't have gone through our first or second screening at the school. That was the school division's communications person, Radine Carter. And we did ask Dr. Brent Rusin to join us this morning to provide further details on this first case in a school. He wasn't available, but he is going to be providing an update after one. And one of the many questions will be, uh, how did we learn about this in the sense of who did this person come in contact with that they were therefore had to be alerted by public health that there might be a possible COVID uh, 
scenario here. So what we do know is that in the release that went out yesterday, officials said the student was at the school for what they're calling a limited time and that because he was asymptomatic and wearing a mask, the grade 7 class at Churchill will continue this morning following a cleaning that took place last night. We will take all of our direction on any positive COVID case from public health, and that's that's going to be the way it is going forward. And the direction is that because the student um, that tested positive was, is asymptomatic, uh, was only in the school for a very short period of time, and had no contact, no actual physical contact with anybody else, and they wore their masks and the our cleaning protocols um, and processes in the school are uh, meeting those criteria from public health. Reading Carter of the Winnipeg School Division says they learned of the case yesterday and a letter notifying students and guardians and parents immediately went out. Of course, we knew, yes, that there was going to be a first case. And unfortunately, it's come really quickly, but uh, it's also a very low risk of transmission case. So it's one that we can... um, we can get our protocols in place and address fairly quickly. So that means that nobody else in the classroom or in the cohort of that particular student has to isolate. But we are still going to, an abundance of caution, um, have our uh, sanitation fogging equipment go and clean the classroom so it's ready for students. Natural for parents to get worked up in a situation like this. I immediately got a text message from somebody that I know with a with a child at that school, Loren, and the question was, well, why was this student at school if they were waiting for their COVID-19 test? Well, I immediately said, that's not the information we're getting. The information we're getting is that they were contacted at some point in the school day to get tested because, well, we don't know why, but there are some assumptions, I guess, that we could make, and I'm not going to do that here, but the whole point is that if you are waiting to be tested or waiting for test results, you're not supposed to go anywhere. You're supposed to self-isolate until you get those results, and I think one of the perceptions was that perhaps this individual had attended school while waiting for test results, and Radine uh, Carter shot that down pretty quick. Yeah, and I think that's the key point to remember here for two reasons. One, that this is how it's supposed to work. If somebody is contacted for testing, that might be because officials have said, hey, you have come into contact or been at a place where we believe COVID was present and therefore now you need to go tested. So the kid was at school, had no idea all this was going on, gets contacted, go gets goes to get tested and therefore we now know that they are positive with COVID-19 and, and a secondary point there's I, Brad I really hope people are kind in this situation because while we don't know who this person is it's a high school and uh, the blame game gets made often as far as we know this the system is working as it's supposed to and now this child or the student will be staying home and so I hope everybody's respectful as possible in this scenario. And we knew we were going to see cases in schools right and as we watch how COVID does or does not spread in the classroom we're of course asking questions about the impact this could have on current public health guidelines and rules just this week the chief medical officer in uh, BC announced nightclubs and banquet halls had to close and restaurants and pubs can't serve liquor after 10 p.m. South of the border in Los Angeles, Halloween has been called into question. Officials in L.A. County first said trick-or-treating would be banned due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, but later revised its guidelines to say it's permitted but not recommended. And I think, didn't we ask that question aloud last week on this show? I we think did. we just kind of casually said, what's going to happen with Halloween this mm-hmm. year? Uh, so L.A. County, the, the first one to, to fire a shot on this one um but yeah trick-or-treating like i mean i guess your boys wouldn't go out greg but loren what about you would you be comfortable sending your kids out trick-or-treating right now yeah right now i would i mean it might not go the same and they might not go in groups like they do there's often a group from the neighborhood that that goes out together maybe we'll have to reconsider how we do that but we're outside the same as they would be outside at the playground at school or outside for gym class at school and and they're at the age where all their costumes cover up their faces no matter what they choose right whether it be a superhero or a a ninja mask or all the rest and so yeah you might have to add a mask to your costume if it doesn't have one right now i would but you know like as we look at this first case in the school 
school. We knew this was going to come. We know there's going to be more. It's just a matter of, of where it goes and, and how fast and how quickly it does or does not spread before we get to that Halloween question. But you can bet there was backlash in L.A. yesterday, Greg, from parents and, and families who were outraged about the idea of Halloween being banned. And even here in Winnipeg, I was telling you guys, I saw on social media different parents posting things like, the government doesn't ban Halloween or tell us how to trick or treat. Parents decide to tell their kids how to trick or treat. And so, oh boy, I can only imagine the outrage or uproar should that be on the table in any part of this country. Boy, I, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I'm on two sides on that one because, uh, yes, it is parents who decide how your kids trick or treat. But if a public health official says that we shouldn't be doing that and has to shut it down and we, that's, that's the hill we're going to die on is, uh, you can't take our Halloween away. I don't know. I think, uh, uh, most people would be respectful of, uh, the situation, you know, as a parent, I was heartened uh, by the quick reaction of Winnipeg School Division Number One yesterday. How quickly this happened! How quickly the student got tested and apparently got the results back, so that people could be at ease. And uh, this is going to happen more than once. And it's all about how is it handled? How do we deal with it? That will allow us all to keep our sanity to a certain extent. In the States, would they call it roofing? Roofing? They, I think they would. It's a roof in it's the States, right? Rough. Okay, yeah. Decal. <laughs> Route. What's decal? Decal. Like a decal? Oh, decal. Decal. That just yeah, sounds decal like, a, like a, a negative calorie or something. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> a root is a route. Like, I like, say route. It, it's a route 90. It would be route 90. Do you say route 90, Loren? I like to throw that out there because it really throws people. Like, take this route, and they're like, like, like a football play, and you're like, nope, just, uh, <laughs> just take Route 90. A route in Canadian is like when you win 53 to nothing. That's a route. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk. We're actually going to talk about some of the annoying things or funny things we say uh, tomorrow in this segment. But right now, we want to ask the question, why do we procrastinate? And this uh, this is come from what's going on in my world. I'm having a couple of buddies over on Friday, and it's been a couple of weeks since I've cleaned my apartment. Nothing huge. I just need to dust it. I need to vacuum and make sure everything, make sure I give it a good wipe down and make sure I have some hand sanitizer on hand. And uh, I knew that yesterday was going to be busy. I know that today is going to be a long day and I might just be too tired by the time I get home from work at about 3.30, 4 o'clock. And then uh, tomorrow I have golf plans and they're coming over tomorrow evening. So um, there might be like a 90-minute window, window from when I get home tomorrow to when they show up and I'll have Scramble. to clean everything. So I, I managed to clean. I've cleaned the bathroom so far, but that's it. I haven't done anything else. And I do this to myself all the time. I just back myself into a corner. I don't know why I have to work to deadline when it comes to everything, but it drives me nuts. So I want to know if you have any funny stories about procrastination or maybe you don't procrastinate. Like Kelly Moore, for example, one of the most organized people I know in this building. Uh, what's your situation uh, in your personal life, Kelly? Do you procrastinate? I used to. I used to be very much like you, Brett. And may <laughs> I just, just yeah, perhaps a, a, a suggestion, give your buddies a couple of quick beers before they even get into the living room. And after a couple of quick beers, they won't notice a little bit of dust or, or disarray. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You, I you like could, that. You can solve your problem easy. You know what? When I was younger, I procrastinated all the time. Oh, my wife. I just drove her absolutely around the bend. And a lot of it was because I am not a handyman and I knew disaster was looming the minute you put a saw or a hammer in my hands. I, I should have really been registered with the FBI with dangerous weapons. But as you get as you get older, and, and I don't know if you just, because you go through the experiences of procrastinating, leaving it to the last minute, and then all of a sudden something else comes up and you don't have a last minute anymore. So I think as you get older and you go through those experiences, you try to say, you know what, I'm going to get this done now. I'm going to be proactive. And if I manage to get it done, 
well in advance, well, then great. I've got more spare time. And uh, you know, at least I'm prepared for the unknown. So hopefully a hurricane doesn't sweep through your apartment tomorrow, Hitman, and uh, <laughs> really cause you grief. <laughs> well said, Kelly. Well said. Jeff Forte, what about you? Um, actually, I've been procrastinating something for a couple of years now. <laughs> <laughs> That's not procrastination, for it's, it, but it's, it's so it's, it's so stupid. I still get my uh, credit card bills mailed to me, and like I don't open them. Like I just shred them. I throw them out. I've been meaning to cancel that for like two years now. And so finally, when this pandemic started happening, I decided to phone the bank. I want to cancel it, and then phone the bank and saw, oh, well, during the pandemic, we're blah, 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 blah. So I hung up the phone and haven't phoned back since. (laughs) (laughs) So you're trying to cancel the credit card altogether or just the paper statements? Just the paper statements. I don't need them. You can do that online, Fortune. I've tried. They told, tell me to phone on the back of the card, and I've tried phoning, and it was during the pandemic. Oh, and wow. I just It's like oh. quitting the gym. They won't let you quit okay. the gym. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, Forte, I think it's been two years now that my financial advisor said, do you have a will? And I said, no. And he looked at me and said, you're over 40 years old. Get a will. <laughs> so I should probably do that. Uh, <laughs> do you have a will, Greg? I was told to get a plot. <laughs> <laughs> I sense a combo sale coming. Plots and wills. Two for one special. Buy one, get one. Jeff Braun. Oh, I agree with everything Kelly said. I used to procrastinate all the time as well. And then the the stress of it just isn't worth it. It's so much easier just to do things as they come in, get it over with, and then you end up with more free time. One of the things I love doing is I clean the whole house every Thursday, and then I don't have to worry about cleaning it all on the weekends. And actually, since the pandemic began, the dining room table used to be where I collected the quote-unquote important papers that would come my way, and it would just be a growing stack, and you know, three times a year I would deal with it. But now <laughs> it's uh, my little broadcast center, so I have to deal with each piece of paper that comes in as it happens, and it's actually been uh, really nice not having a... A stack of papers to worry about every few weeks, you know? You know not like Jake from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where he just had his bathtub full of mail. Exactly. <laughs> 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 uh, what about you, Loren? Well, I have a story on why procrastination wins every time, and it goes back like 20 years. University, my final paper is due. I have a, was going for a double major in journalism and communication, so it's the last thing I have to do to graduate. And the paper is due the next day, so I've left it to the final moment, a 30-page paper, haven't started a thing. And that just as I was about to, you know, log on to my laptop, I get a call from a friend who says he has two tickets to the Ottawa Senators-Rangers game because I was in school in Ottawa. I'm a huge fan of Wayne Gretzky. It was Wayne Gretzky's final game in Canada. So I said yes to the tickets, went and watched the game, saw Gretzky's final game, came home, wrote the paper from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m., dropped it off the school, got a beat. So there. Procrastination wins every time. Wow. Or one time. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We were asking the question, why do we procrastinate? Do you have any examples of procrastination, whether it worked out good or whether it worked out bad? Great text from Andrea leading the charge here, Greg. I love this terminology. My husband is the centerfold (laughs) for procrastination. I'm somewhat of a clean freak. And he would rather make uh, him a list, me make him a list, than actually get what's right in front of him done. For example, he bought new LED light bulbs for our bathroom two weeks ago. Still sitting in the same spot they were when he brought them home. He's the resident handyman. I don't touch that stuff. On the other hand, when he finally uh, does get stuff done, it is done. But those are typically things at the bottom of the priority list after months of reminding. Good morning, Andrea. I bet, Andrea... Answer me this. Does it often happen when you're about to leave the house or go on vacation? Like suddenly, suddenly now? Oh, I just want to finish putting the shed together. I just uh, figure we'll just clean this garage. You're like, what? Like we're on our way to the airport or on our way to vacation <laughs> and these things that you procrastinated for months, now is the time we're choosing to get it done? It may, I'd like to know the answer to that. Well, and maybe the reason for that is you're procrastinating the next thing. It's like, okay, what can I do to procrastinate what we're about to do? I'll do this <laughs> other thing. Plus, I find too, I actually will Sometimes if I can't motivate myself, I will make a list and I find the list almost seeing a list is just having it itemized in front of me and having things I can physically check off 
kind of helps me get organized and get moving. Because I think that's why I, one of the reasons why I procrastinate. I often can't decide where to start mm-hmm. and then mm. I just do nothing. Or I get, e- I'm easily surprise, surprise, distracted. So I can be cleaning the house or say doing the laundry. And then as I'm doing the laundry, I see a shelf that's messy. So I'm next thing you know, I'm organizing the shelf and the shelf looks like it needs to be uh, tightened. So you're tightening the shelf and you go into the garage, you find the <laughs> screwdriver, the screwdriver's not where it's supposed to be. You're cleaning the tool, you're cleaning the tool bench and then you cannot remember what you were doing <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> Why didn't this washing machine get run? Oh, yeah, I was doing that two hours ago. And then Arthur saying this on uh, procrastination. Was it Arthur who sent the uh, the, the poem? So the poem, yes. Procrastination is a crime that often leads to sorrow. But I can stop at any time. I think I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> well said, Arthur. Small Town Salute, brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, just 30 minutes north on Highway 59. Visit southbeachcasino.ca for updates. This morning, we are celebrating the Manitobans who have helped put our province on the map, and they all hail from outside Winnipeg. So please send us your text, 780-6868. Let us know some of the favorite celebs, musicians, athletes, or what have you from your respective hometown. And I was saying to you guys last night, uh, we like to lay claim to Paula Abdul's grandparents in Minnesota. <laughs> it's, it's like a four or five degrees of separation, but whatever. Okay, that's that the link, a, Greg. That's a stretch. That is a stretch. <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to go down that road, Ken Dryden's dad was born in uh, Domain, Manitoba, and remained a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan most of his life, even though uh, the Dryden family moved to Hamilton back in the 1950s. So Ken Dryden uh, has some serious ties to Manitoba. A lot of people don't realize that. So if you want to go uh, Paula Abdul, I'll go Ken Dryden. In terms of the stretch, but I have a list of uh, five people that made my list from a variety of different aspects of life. And you put that list together in like five minutes yesterday. We were talking about this and five minutes later, you're like, here's my list. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure I had it written down yep. so I could cross it off my list of things to do last night. And uh, at the top uh, for me is uh, Jim Treliving. He's from the Dragon's Den. Oh, Boston pizza fame from Verdon, Manitoba. Okay. Okay. And uh, Bobby Clark from Flin Flon, Manitoba. One of the best uh, hockey players to come out of Manitoba period is on my list. Author Miriam Taves from Steinbach is on my list. As is Tommy Prince, the most decorated Mm -hmm. Canadian war hero of all time from Scantabury and singer Susan Aglukark from... Churchill. I could have done a much longer list and a lot more hockey players, but I figured I'd take <laughs> somebody from each of the, the different uh, aspects uh, of our lives where, where people become notable, if not famous. Loren? Well, one of our listeners just texted now, Eddie Belfour from Carmen. Uh, he, of course, was the goalie. And uh, for Dallas, who am I? Who is he, who is he going for? I got that way wrong now. Greg? Ed Belfour. Who did he play for? Oh, boy. Which teams didn't he play for? Okay, he good. played for Chicago, Dallas, Toronto. <laughs> I got one right. I think I he also was San Jose yeah, at one point. Yeah, I think he did good play memory. with San Jose. Yep. So we've got uh, Eddie Balfour from Carmen, and of course, uh, in my neck of the woods, Theo Fleury from Russell, Manitoba. I think Pat Falloon was from in and around that area. I want Fox to say Warren. Fox Warren. I was getting there. <laughs> and, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I would have done the same to you. Are you kidding? I'm not worried about it at all. Tom Cochran, I think, is Lynn Lake. And so uh, oh, there's wow, lots of singers that came from small town. And actually, I want to say Neil Young. I know we all often say he's Winnipeg-esque, but I, I believe, is it not Cypress River? Oh, could be. I know he that went there was to, an original start. My dad was in his typing class at Kelvin in, in uh, the Kelvin Clippers. Uh, I once cool typed with that? the old Neil Young. Is that <laughs> yeah, a fireside cool. chat? <laughs> Not really. That's that's about the extent. They didn't know each other. They weren't buddies or anything. He just oh. it's like, yeah, he was in my typing class. Mm, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, what about Trevor Hurst from Verdon, Manitoba? He's not super famous, but for anybody who knows the band Econoline Crush, great mm-hmm. Canadian band mm-hmm. uh, from the 90s and throughout the years, 
Speaking of crushes, my male crush, Todd Kearns of uh, Age of Electric fame, is actually also from Lind Lake originally. Really? Yeah. I didn't know he was Manitoban. Yeah. He's, he's, I think he's got a Saskatchewan birth certificate, but he claims uh, Lind Lake as his, as his, essentially as his hometown where he grew up. We're getting a bunch of texts here all of a sudden at once. Reggie Leach. From yeah. Riverton? The Riverton Rifle. Okay. What was that? And pr- forgive my ignorance on that. Is it uh, football? Oh, a hockey player. Hockey player. Played alongside okay. Bobby Clark uh, when the Flyers won their back-to-back uh, Stanley Cups back in the early 1970s. The Broad Street Bullies. Okay, yeah, I was wondering if maybe rifle was uh, an indication of his arm. So I took a stab. Oh, oh sniper. I failed. 70, I think he had 77 goals one year. I'd have to double check Holy how many smokes. goals. Yeah, that is, that's pretty cool. Uh, Eve, <laughs> what the heck's the guy's name that's all about music and came from Stonewall? Is that Alan Cross? Alan Cross from Stonewall, Manitoba. Well done, Eve. Very How good. about Corey Kosky from yes. Enola, Manitoba? And I'd love to know for people who are texting in with all these names of people from small towns, like Corey Kosky, there is a sign up for sure in Enola when you drive through there, hometown of Corey Kosky. And the same goes for a bunch of the other towns. But I'm curious how many towns, you know, have laid claim officially, like in an official capacity to all these people. Yeah, like when you drive every, anytime I go out to Morden, I always drive past the sign for Carmen, the home of the Eagle. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they put all the different logos of the teams that he played for. How about John Montgomery, the gold medal skeleton uh, athlete oh, yeah. from uh, from Russell, Manitoba? I was lucky enough to co-host a dinner with him in Minnedosa, the sportsman's dinner a few years ago. And he said when he met Theron Fleury after the Flames won the Stanley Cup in 1989, he looked at Theron Fleury and goes, well, if Theron Fleury can play in the NHL, I can do damn near anything I want because Theo's uh, about five foot seven. Uh, maybe even on skates, he might be five foot eight. So uh, that was uh, an interesting revelation from John Montgomery, the inspiration that he got from Theron Fleury. And John Montgomery went on to be uh, an excellent uh, television host oh, on The Amazing Race Canada. Another text message suggestion here. What about uh, would, would Buddy Knox, who settled in Dominion City, qualify. Uh, I think you can say whatever you want. Who's Buddy Knox? (laughs) He's a singer, a rockabilly star. Okay. Chumped around with the likes of Elvis Presley. If I can lay claim to Paula Abdul's grandparents, they can lay claim to Knox all they want. And just one more cool side note about Russell. You guys mentioned Theo Fleury and John Montgomery. They're on the sign uh, going into Russell. And you know who was also added a few years ago was a special Olympian. His name was Darren. And I'm just looking for his last name now. But it was super cool. I think he was a snowshoer, 41 years old. And uh, Darren Borscavage. And so that was really neat that in Russell they they added that third name to to the sign there. Keep yeah, your text coming fantastic. at 204-780-6868. Famous Manitobans from small towns. We're doing it for our small town salute today. And here's another text message that made me chuckle. Hey, sorry for the late text, uh, but I put off texting on the procrastination topic. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Reggie Leach scored 61 goals in 75-76 and added another 19 goals in the playoffs for a wow. total of 61-71, uh, uh, 80 goals. An incredible season. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Man, people love their small communities. I just got a text now from a family friend who wants me to know that Kyle Schufelt, remember the Olympic gold medalist? His family is actually from Basswood, which is near Minnedosa. So, you know, I, you know, I got to throw those in when I can. Well, and it's cool. Like, I, I don't, if not for golf, I wouldn't know anything about what's outside of Winnipeg right. and Southern Manitoba. So, But I've never heard, I knew of Minnedosa, but I didn't. I've never heard of Basswood, so I appreciate the education this morning. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb getting lots of text messages at 204-780-6868 about famous Manitobans from small towns from outside of Winnipeg. And we do thank those who are offering Winnipeg suggestions as well, but we're looking specifically for those outside of Winnipeg. Adam Beach, for example, from Dog Creek Reserve. Yes, grew up in my neighborhood, went to Orioles uh, Community Center and uh, was part of our neighborhood in the West End. But of course, that's exactly where he was born. And uh, Lorena McKennett, uh, I think she's a harpist or classical music. Uh, isn't that right, Loren? She is. Uh, she's actually incredibly famous and very successful. I think we've had her 
on 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 our radio show once upon a time, Brett, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the, we, we did have a harpist on. Yeah. We did a, have a harpist with you and I, Brett, last year. But it wasn't I thought Lorena, we had Lorena McKennant. But she is a harpist. Ago. She plays the accordion, too, and the piano. Like She she touches it all, so she's oh, pretty great. David Rocola from Verdon invented uh, the Rocola jukebox company. That's right. Oh, look at that. Yes. Verdon has some very successful people uh, on their list. Michelle says, I think Loren McNabb from Minnedosa <laughs> is pretty famous. <laughs> Who? Oh, that's funny. Michelle, of course, that is a Long-time contributor to CGOB. I think that's Michelle from Habitat who's texting in just to have some fun with me. I said there are far more people from that town. For example, Izzy Asper, uh, Minnedosa. And so there's lots of names that can go there. Chipperfields. Ron Chipperfields. Ron Chipperfield. Yes. So there's a hockey player. Um, Yeah, I think I'll stay off the list for a while. I might have to... Maybe I'll just etch my name into a sign. You'll catch me around midnight, just like vandalizing this. <laughs> uh, what about this one? Goody Grace, 22-year-old rapper from Selkirk who now lives in L.A. He is dating or dated Kate Beckinsale. Okay. Did you not, not hear about that? I forgot about that. I remember his name for sure, but of course that not being necessarily my genre. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Ron Hextall, goalie. Yes, mostly with the Flyers, born in Brandon. There's a whole list of goalies born in Brandon. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, Bill Ranford comes to the to my mind, and um, Glenn Hanlon also, who uh, was between the pipes for the Vancouver Canucks back in the late 70s, 80s. He's also from Brandon. So uh, there's lots of uh, goalie uh, talent in the water out in Brandon. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what it is about that. Is there... Some, is that something you maybe noticed growing up in Western Manitoba, Loren? The goalies are in... Uh, that were better being... at a lot of things? Yeah, yes. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what I meant. I f- figured that's where you're going. It's it's the water, <laughs> for sure. No, it, I think it just stands out. It stands out because the smaller the community and the more people you have from it, you say, what on earth is going on there? So yes, continue your feedback of uh, famous people from small town Manitoba. This has been great. Yeah, we appreciate it very much. Lots of fun. Uh, Arthur says, bass player Dale Young, another Manitoba boy, made good, handpicked by Oscar Peterson for his trio. So we're learning a lot of Ooh, stuff here. No kidding. I had no idea we'd get this many texts. So this is awesome. Thanks, guys, as always, for participating. And of course, weigh in on any topic, whether it's why do we pro- procrastinate or if you want to weigh in on Halloween. We talked earlier about how L.A. County is recommending not to trick or treat this year. What should we do about Halloween? Your thoughts are always welcome. And you can also email Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, or Brett at CJOB.com. The weird things you see in Winnipeg and downtown. I was outside and I saw this guy standing in the middle of the courtyard and he turned and looked at me and asked me for money. But he did so in the form of a freestyle rap Awesome. And uh, if I had change, I kind of think I would have given it to him because I feel like he earned it because it was yeah. creative and uh, he even referenced but the phone I had in my hand and he, he, gave, he, gave, he rattled off some number. Uh, but I just I just said, sorry, man, I, I can't help you and went inside. Oh. But it's kind of neat. Next time, be prepared. Yeah. It's hard. I, I never have change in me. I know what you're feeling, but uh, that person was working for it, working for uh, some help. Yeah, so I just thought that was neat. The, the, the interesting things that one sees when navigating downtown Winnipeg. So this half hour, we want to start with how we've been sharing with you this morning how travel to and from Winnipeg is down, an obvious impact of this pandemic. But the challenge for many is answering the question, how long could this go on? Yeah, back in the spring, one of the big impacts was school and graduations. No proms, no parties, and smaller weddings. Many celebrations take place at the convention center, but spring and summer aren't uh, their busiest time of year. In fact, Loren, it's fall. Yeah, it actually hosts, the convention center hosts the bulk of its conventions from September to December, and then December they get into potentially those those. Uh, seasonal celebrations or Christmas celebrations. And of course, much of that isn't happening as it usually would this year. Drew Fisher is the president and CEO of the RBC Convention Center and joins us now to update how they're doing. Good morning, Drew. Good morning. I think it's uh, the answer might be obvious here, Drew, but how many bookings do you have right now for conventions compared to last year? 
Well, we had uh, 15 conventions for that period that you mentioned between September up to December, and uh, unfortunately, uh, all of those events uh, are no longer. But, you know, if I I can say, the one, if there is, uh, you know, a a little ray of sunshine that comes from this, I mean, the, the work that's been done by our incredible sales team here and our partners, Tours in Winnipeg and Team Winnipeg Partners, They've been working very, very closely together with our clients and uh, much of the business that was slated for the fall and also the business that we had in the spring has been moved to future years. So there is, there is, uh, you know, there is positive in the future, but uh, you, are, you are very correct that the business uh, that was planned for this time uh, in the meetings and convention sector has cancelled and it's no longer. So when it comes to people actually booking conventions, I guess first, are they are they still booking them just in smaller sizes and different rules? Well, there, yeah, I mean, there, most of the convention business that's being booked now is for future years. Um, I mean, with the limitations on travel, it, it does make it very difficult to have uh, to have a convention and then gathering sizes that are being limited right across Canada. That that absolutely has an has had a effect on uh, the business being booked in the convention sector. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sitting here thinking, Drew, about some of those October, November, December nights where you have three, four, five Christmas parties going on simultaneously at the convention center. Uh, what sort of different plans uh, have corporations that typically uh, deal with you for events like that? What are they doing? Are they doing smaller events? Are they splitting them up? Is is there anything you can help them with? Well, we're working with them. I mean, the the phase three uh, um, plans that go into the cohort model of of 50 cohorts, we're we're talking through what we're able to do while staying within public health guidelines. And, you know, we remain hopeful that some of that business that is booked for that November, December period will, will happen. I mean, we're confident in what we can deliver here at the, at the RBC Convention Centre. We know that we can deliver safe events and be aligned with those guidelines. And, and once again, we remain very hopeful that some of that business will occur, if not the majority. But, but you know, the reality is there will be some events that will cancel. Yeah, hope is the key word here, I think, Drew. And we're speaking with Drew Fisher of the RBC Convention Centre because we don't know where things are going and it's hard to navigate when you don't know where this virus will go in terms of the case numbers, if it'll go up and down, if the restrictions will be lifted or if we'll see more restrictions. And so if for so many people in all sorts of businesses, that's hard to work your way through. And then, of course, you must be hearing from restaurants outside the convention center and other places because there is that trickle-down effect. And when the convention center expanded and added that beautiful addition on, the goal was to bring hundreds, if not thousands, of more people into the downtown on any given week or weekend. Oh, absolutely. I mean... It's been, I mean, it's been a very difficult year, and, and I, I think as I heard in the beginning of, uh, before leading into this uh, discussion, I mean, we, when we got into this in, in March and, we, and the pandemic uh, was, was announced, I, I think most uh, businesses and, and around the world, we assumed this would be a two- or three-month uh, uh, down period, but it has extended for a much longer period, and there is uncertainty as to when that will, will lift. But, um, I mean, it has been a difficult year on us, on our partners, and essentially anyone within the hospitality and tourism sector uh, that, that relies on meetings and convention business. And, you know, we're very proud of, of, of the business that we do bring in and the economic impact that we provide to the many businesses throughout, throughout Winnipeg and Manitoba. And, you know, what's unfortunate is this was uh, trending to be one of our best years on record at the RBC Convention Centre, highlighted by some really, really strong, large conventions, citywide conventions. And uh, so it's disappointing that uh, that uh, this pandemic has continued. But, you know, I, I also want to say, our, our, you know, our public health officials have been working really, really hard to, to keep us safe, and the Manitoba government has been working hard to keep us safe. And we're optimistic that we will, you know, we will get through this potentially sooner than others and be welcoming meetings and convention business back back to Winnipeg, have business travel come back to Winnipeg. That's what we want to see. Drew, we're seeing some huge numbers dollar-wise in terms of the lost revenue at Winnipeg Transit. They're talking upwards of 30 
million dollars. The Winnipeg Airports Authority, $45 million loss. That's not their lost revenue, but that, that's what their uh, their overall budget could look like, a, a negative number for the first time in forever. How many millions of dollars worth of business have you lost? Well, our business is down, uh, you know, I'm going to say around 74 75%. And, uh, you know, much of that business is meetings and convention business. But I'll go back to what I said previously in the sense of, I mean, we, uh, the, the ray of sunshine here is that the business that was intended for this year, I mean, we have about 80% of that convention business that has booked for future years. And that other 20%, we're working very hard with Tourism Winnipeg and our team Winnipeg partners to resecure that business so that we, we can get it all back and have the success that we had prior to this pandemic in the future. So bookings down 75%. Can you put a dollar figure to that, though, Drew, and, uh, and job losses as well along the way? Well, we, we traditionally do about uh, $18 million a year, $18, $19 million a year worth of business at, at the centre. So 75% is a significant amount uh, being down. Um, when it comes to, I mean, the effect on, on our incredible team here at the RBC Convention Centre, I mean, it's been, it's, been, it's been heartbreaking and it's been devastating. And every single uh, colleague of the centre has been affected by furloughs, you know, whether it be in the form of, uh, you know, layoffs or just there are no hours for individuals that are part-time casual employees, uh, job sharing, wage rollbacks. It's, it's, the, the effect has been devastating, and it's really, really been heartbreaking. I mean, our, our, our convention center team here is a family, and uh, to see this effect is just, it's been, it's been very, very difficult on all of us. Drew Fisher, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We have Santa Lucia Pizza to give away in our next half hour. Wait for your cue to call for that. But we start this hour with a local teen and his family who are looking to the community, to you, for support after a devastating cancer diagnosis turned their world upside down. So Dylan Bucci is going into grade 11, but instead of being excited about heading back to school like so many high schoolers are this week, the 17-year-old is fighting for his life after being diagnosed with stage 4 Ewing sarcoma, which is a rare form of cancer in the bones or tissue near the bones. Dylan is no stranger to kicking cancer. As a grade 10 student last year, he configured several Dell servers to communicate with the IBM World Community Grid and provide much-needed processing power to accelerate the search for cancer biomarkers for the Kremble Research Institute. Really incredible, Greg. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear more about that. Dylan and his teacher actually traveled to Toronto to meet with the scientists running the Mapping Cancer Markers Project to see firsthand how volunteer computing contributes to the fight against cancer. Less than a year later, Dylan is fighting his own personal battle with the disease, but remains positive and courageous. Michael Bucci is Dylan's dad and joins us now on The Start. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Greg. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for taking some time for us today. We have to ask, how is Dylan doing on this Thursday morning? Well, he's uh, asleep on the couch. He's uh, really tired. He just got home uh, last night from his uh, second bout of uh, chemotherapy. That seems to be uh, going well, and, and he's receiving it well, so we're, we're very hopeful and, uh, and quite uh, excited uh, to see how the treatments are going to help him. Could you tell us a bit more about Dylan's form of cancer and, and the treatments that are underway and, and how they're working? Uh, sure. Ewing sarcoma, uh, as you mentioned, is a rare form of bone cancer or tissue around the bone, and uh, it has uh, it, it's attacked him in many sites in the, in the body. That's why they've they deemed it as uh, stage four. Uh, it is a fairly aggressive cancer, and um, you know the the prognosis is not it's not horribly promising. So we we just have to at this point um, go through the chemotherapy, and uh, I think the next step will be some radiation treatment in uh, one or more of the sites where the tumors are a little larger, specifically his arm right now. Um, so they're, they're, they're really trying to get uh, in front of it, as it were, instead of just prevent it from spreading. Uh, they're trying to, to get it to pair back a bit, and that's, that's what our hopes are. 
Can you share with us a little bit more about this computer project Dylan was involved with last year? It sounds sounds pretty um, cool. Many, many years ago, I, I was donating CPU time to uh, to different uh, causes. Um, you know, uh, Rosetta Stone, all, all kinds of different uh, things that you could donate CPU time. Um, he was quite inspired by that, and we were uh, supporting. Well, we had just lost a, a close family friend a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, to uh, to cancer. And uh, he found the, the Crumble Research Project and, and kind of sunk his teeth into that and said, you know what, Dad, I, I think I can work on the computers and, and donate some more time and, and maybe help them find a cure for cancer. At the time, he didn't know that uh, Crumble was looking for biomarkers for early detection, but still um, very passionate about, you know, doing something to help uh, with, with the cancer community. And, um, you know, ironically, now here we are. Well, you know, I was trying to search for the right word, Michael, and ironic kept coming up, and it's just, what what an unfortunate turn of events here. How did you find out about Dylan's uh, illness, and and how quickly were you able to to get to the bottom of what was going on with him? Because I, I think, and, I, and I've been, you know, in, in circles where people are waiting for the diagnosis for cancer, waiting to find out what is actually going on is sometimes the most difficult part of the entire process. I have to agree with them. Um, so I guess it was uh, latter part of December, early part of January, he was uh, complaining of his arm being a little bit sore. Um, and with with the whole COVID thing going on and, and no school, uh, we kind of chalked it up to, well, you're sitting around and you're playing video games all day. Maybe it's a little bit of tendonitis. Um, let's try some ice. Let's try some anti-inflammatories. Let's, let's not worry about it uh, horribly and see what happens after a few days rest. Well, that happened. And then when he said, nope, it's still sore. So we went to the doctors and the doctor felt it and said, yeah, there, it feels like there's some soft tissue inflammation and, uh, you know, if it, if it persists, please come back. So a few weeks after that, it was still sore and tender and we went back and they took an x-ray. Um, uh, literally within a 24-hour period of the x-ray, we had uh, bookings with oncologists and surgeons and uh, it, it, it almost became like a wave of things coming at us almost instantly. So... Um, the waiting time, the turnaround time for things to happen in with Cancer Care Manitoba has been uh, has been astonishingly small. Uh, very very short wait periods. Uh, even some of the professionals with Cancer Care Manitoba have said, you know, this is this has gone along pretty quickly. So um, I guess everything fell into place the right way, and we were able to get in uh, through this process. Um, but yeah, the, we we probably had about a five-week period there where we knew it was tumorous, we knew it was cancer of some sort, but we didn't know what type of cancer it was and what the treatment methods were going to be. So it does take a little while to get through that process. And and I have to say probably the most challenging time of this whole ordeal now over the last 13 or 14 weeks um, has probably been that five-week period where we were like, okay, it's cancer, but is it anywhere else? What type of cancer? How do we treat it? That was probably the most challenging time for the whole family. And at the end of the day, when you mentioned the fact that he's 17 and, you know, playing video games like pretty much every other teenager out there, we need to be reminded that he is just a kid. So is he able to do any of the school or any of the activities that he'd normally be doing this time of year? Or is, is, or is just the bulk of the tension, rightly so, on uh, fighting this cancer right now? Well, um, the chemo treatments definitely make your head foggy and, um, and, and keep you from thinking straight. So he's going to be on a modified uh, schooling schedule this year, only taking a couple of courses. Um, they, there is, it's, it's, it's from home. There, there is absolutely no way with a compromised immune system that he can go out of the house, uh, especially during the COVID pandemic. Michael, um, this is a, an incredibly uh, difficult story to hear, but your your courage and uh, your ability to share with us the story is greatly appreciated. How can we help out as a community? I know there's a, a, a help, a, a, pardon me, a GoFundMe page because this is going to create some issues in your home in terms of being able to care for Dylan. Correct? Yeah. Well, we you know at, because of the sites of where the tumors are on his spine, in his hip, in his ribs. Um, it is eventuality that uh, he's going to have limited mobility and he's going to need 
um, more assistance moving around, uh, probably end up in a wheelchair at some point. And our, our house, being 113 years old in the North End, is definitely not wheelchair accessible currently. Um, so there's a lot of uh, construction projects underway in, in the house, uh, even during right now. I, I've got, uh, I'm doing insulating and drywalling up at the front vestibule and getting the front area or front door uh, ready for a, a ramp so we can be handy accessible. Yes, we have the GoFundMe page going, and, and uh, that's certainly going along. Uh, there's been some generous donations. We still need that to uh, to continue to to gather some funds for us to, towards this project. Um, I have um, a, a friend in the in the contractors industry uh, and the good people at Go Assist uh, or Get Assist, excuse me, um, helping out with uh, some contractors coming and volunteering their time. Truly, uh, from from a, a construction standpoint, what what I've been told needs to really happen is we need to get out of the house and um, let somebody else in here to do some work, and, and we can't be living in the house while the construction is happening. So some of the challenges we're facing in getting the house ready, um, not only financially, is uh, just having a place to go. And uh, um, so it was suggested that I reach out to the community and ask for if somebody has a four-bedroom house that is empty, uh, that they can let us use for two months while we get contractors in here to fix doorways and put a stair lift in and get ramps at the front and just, just make the house more um, accessible for the upcoming uh, eventuality that some mobility devices are going to be needed. You can search for the GoFundMe page, Dylan's Fight Against Cancer Hits Home, and you can reach out to uh, Brett, Loren, or myself via email. Michael, if people want to reach you directly, quickly, how do we do that? Um, I'll provide you my email address. It's M, like Michael, B-U-C-C-I, like my last name, mbucci, at shaw.ca. That's mbucci at shaw.ca. Sorry, you have another way we can reach you? Um, no, that's that's perfectly fine. That email address is just perfect. Uh, there is also a um, a Facebook page, Dylan's Fight Against Cancer. So you know, certainly, if uh, if getting email is is hard and social media is easier, then they can find the Dylan's Cancer uh, Fight web uh, Facebook page and reach me through there. Michael Bucci is the father of Dylan. Uh, grade uh, going into grade 11 stage 4 Ewing's sarcoma a rare form of cancer in the bones or tissue near the bones Michael thank you very much for taking the time to tell us the story we appreciate this sir thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our story Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We're going to crack the phone lines right now at 204-780-6868. Your chance to win a large two-topping pizza from Santa Lucia. Call us now. Jeff Fortier standing by to answer your call. And while those calls come in, Loren Global's Corey Callahan did, in fact, speak to the principal at Churchill High School. Yeah, and I just listened to the interview now just to get a sense of what they're doing in that school, of course, with the first COVID case announced in a Manitoba school coming from a grade 7 class at Churchill High. Principal Ryan Hughes shared with us uh, how students are feeling this morning. So the students that we've talked to already this morning, just as they're coming back to school, um, they're very understanding. Um, I'm sure there's a a mixture of concern and questions, but our staff do have a script that they're going to be going over with them this morning just to help allay any fears or concerns that students have and just assure them that it is safe to be in school. Part of that script, and I think that use it, word is used so that they get the wording right and the information right, is about clearing up any misinformation, guys. And so a lot of the questions from listeners this morning were like, hang on, did the student go to school with any sort of symptoms? And that's not the case. They went to school as normal to class on Tuesday, and then at some point Tuesday, they were contacted by public health officials to go get tested. So we're waiting for more answers from Dr. Rusin in terms of how that tracing worked and why the student was contacted. But presumably, in theory, they may have come in contact with a location or another person who had already tested positive. And because the student is in school, they, they may have wanted, and again, we're looking to, for clarity, to expedite this test. So he was at school, no thoughts of COVID besides the mask on his, his or her face, Got a test result later yesterday confirming that they did, in fact, have COVID. And then that's when the school went into notifying the parents and, of course, cleaning. 
yeah, even even as part of our routine sanitation that we're doing, uh, we we did a just had a quick look at the at the rotation, and it had actually been disinfected three times already, just as part of our regular routine, um, even before we knew there was an issue in that classroom. That being said, the division has sent their sanitation team, and there will be further deep clean done in that classroom today. So students are back in class. And of course, one of the big things, Greg, we want to uh, talk about and, and hopefully encourage along the way here is that uh, let's be kind in terms of what's going on out there. I don't think anyone's purposely willing to try, to try to do anything wrong. And by all counts, nothing wrong was done here. Kid went to class, found out later um, that they had COVID through public health contract tracing. And, and here we are. And so I hope that as we move forward with these kinds of things, because it will happen again, that we remember uh, to practice as much kindness as possible. Yeah, really quick. I think uh, this proves that the system works to right. a great extent, that the system in terms of contact tracing, uh, and we're quite certain that's part of the equation here. We don't know for sure, but the, the all other question, and I'm not sure we're getting a, tons of, a ton of text messages on how did they get the results back so fast? I don't know if it's resentful questioning or people just asking genuinely in, in an inquisitive fashion. Uh, but uh, that also proves to me that they're able to make priorities in terms of uh, whose test results they need and when. And, and I think that's a good thing as well, Brett. Let us know what you think at 204-780-6868. And the phone lines are jammed at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a large two-topping pizza from Santa Lucia. And here is today's question. According to a new survey... This smell makes us more relaxed and happy. What is it? Raleigh. Hi there. Raleigh, are you there? No idea. Roly, are you there? <laughs> no idea. No idea. Okay, very good. Sorry about mispronouncing your name. Baking. Don? Baking. Baking bread. The Baking. smell of bread. No, but that's a good one too. That's a good guess. Carol. Hi. According to a new survey, this smell makes us more relaxed and happy. What is it? French fries. French fries? No. No, <laughs> but I, I love the smell of French okay. fries. Okay, thanks. Works for me. Um, McDonald's fries in particular. Mm. I love it when you're driving somewhere and you maybe have your window open or your sunroof open and you go... There's a KFC around here somewhere <laughs> because you can smell it from a half a mile away. <laughs> Sandy, do you know what it is? Um, would it be lemon? No. Ooh. No, not. So the, here's your first hint. It's not food. It's not food. Not food. Okay. Betty, do you know what it is? Uh, how about perfume? No, it's not perfume. Thank you. Uh, that can be good or bad. And yes. I find I find more often now, like if somebody walks into the building wearing a ton of cologne or perfume, uh, it can be just like overpowering. Unless it's Dracar. Gravity. What, Loren? Gravity. Gravity. Yeah. Do you not remember that? Oh, when I was in high school, maybe it was just uh, my boyfriend who is now my husband, so I shouldn't complain about this. Uh, gravity. That was the cologne of choice. Did you like it? I liked it then. Okay. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> karate. Elsie, do you know what it is? Uh, repeat the question, please. The question is, according to a new survey, this smell makes us more relaxed and happy. What is it? Smell? Yes, a smell. Sorry, Elsie. Try again next time. Diane, do you know what it is? Lavender. No, but I love the smell of lavender. No. I always try to find... Great guess, but that's not it. I always try to find uh, hand soap and uh, lavender scent. Lavender chicken? Never had it? No! Oh. Is that a th Lorraine, have you ever heard of this? No. Yes. Like, like, you mean you eat chicken, or it's just a smell they've come up with? It's the <laughs> chicken, and it's and, and included in the assortment of... Of uh, spices and herbs oh. is lavender. Nice. Oh, absolutely incredible. Where I you... thought you were going down the road of one of our listeners who texted Sex Panther. 60% 60 60 of the time, lavender chicken works all the time. The other time, Sex Panther. Where do you get <laughs> I had lavender chicken, chicken in uh, Malibu Canyon at a really cool restaurant oh. about five years ago. Oh, I'll never forget how good it was. Fancy. Maybe it's where I was eating it. Nick, do you know what it is? 
Nick, are you there? Yes, I am. Sorry. What is the uh, answer? I was going to guess lavender because uh, I sprayed on my daughter's pillow, but I'm going to, it's the toss between cinnamon and lemon. I'm going to go with a lemon. No, I'm sorry. It is not a food or a reasonable facsimile thereof, uh, but great guesses. Cinnamon's a good smell too. Mm-hmm. Miles, do you know what it is? Is it a pine cone? No. No, no. Uh, but we'll, I, the next clue is we've had a couple things outdoorsy. It's, it's an outdoorsy thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Burton, do you know what it is? Uh, I'm lost now after you guys said it's not food. I was going to say pickerel. But Pick, I'm sorry. That's a very specific one. Pickerel makes you happy? Yeah, you betcha. Okay, that's not it, but uh, great guess. Now I'm hungry for some pickerel. Kate, according to a new survey, this smell makes us more relaxed and happy. What is it? Campfire, wood fire. No, no, oh, that's not so it. Oh, I thought that was it. Yeah. yeah, you thought it was campfire? I have yeah. a campfire candle even. I just love that smell. I saw uh, coming on text. I thought, there's the winner. No, it's not campfire. Christy, do you know what it is? Is it freshly cut grass? Oh. Can you say that again, Christy? Freshly cut grass. According to a new survey, this smell makes us more relaxed and happy. It is fresh cut grass. I cut my grass yesterday, and it is. It's such a wonderful smell. I wonder I wonder what, does it make you happy, Christy? It sure does, because yeah. I'm usually sitting there watching somebody else cut the grass. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> right on, Christy. I'm going to put you on hold. Forte is going to get your details, okay? Thank you. Stand by. Yeah, I, I've never understood the... Uh, Oh, did I put her on hold? There we go. Never understood the science behind that. Like what? Like the grass is sitting right there. You yeah. can't smell it. You cut it, and it smells, and it smells great. We should bring someone on to explain that. They're like that's neat. You make a good point. You're out there all the time, and you're not saying smell that good grass. Point. It must release something when it's cut. Like even just outside today, they they were out there. There's always crews working outside, you know, on the flowers and stuff in the lawn in front of the building. And the guy was out there with a with a weed whacker, and I could smell it. And I thought, ah, that, it, it instantly made me feel relaxed. So when I found this trivia question, I thought, I got to go with that Perfecto. one. Perfecto. Yeah. You know what? I'm guessing one of our listeners knows the answer to this. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Text us. Why does the grass smell when it's cut? And we got to mention the question of the day as well at cjob.com. Brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. There's talk of a federal election. Are you in the mood to go back to the polls? And so far at cjob.com, it's a lot closer than I anticipated. What? 50-50. No. 50% say yes, we need a change. And 50% say no, please no. No, I'm okay with that anger. I get people are wondering what's going on in Ottawa. And really, as I said, want to hold Trudeau's feet to the fire as, as should be done with everything that's been going on. But, man, you really want to listen to another six weeks of campaigning and that's the noise I make for that one. It's a bit closer on or not as close on Twitter. Thirty four percent say yes. Sixty six percent say no. So cast your vote at CJOB.com or on Twitter at 680CJOB. Two people saying, guys, it's the tears from the grass as you're cutting off its head. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) and Corey says, hi, guys, the scent from grass uh, when you cut it, it's uh, grass releasing a defense mechanism to warn other grass. Of the threat. <laughs> oh, man. And Trish texts, it's the grass's tears from being beheaded. 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 <laughs> and that's just really, now I feel kind of sad. <laughs> I don't. It smells great. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.